0: Well, happy weekend to you. It's good to be back together again today. When I was last with you last week, I gave you some homework as we ended the message from the Word last week, and we were talking about Sabbath in our lives. And I asked you if you would consider how you could try to get a good night's sleep every single night this week. Secondly, how you could uh, try to live for seven days without two or three non-essentials in your life and fill that time with other things that are more essential in your life. And thirdly, to try to enter into God's rest every time something came up difficult in your life. I wonder how you did on that homework. Because that homework kind of sets us up for this week and where we go this week. So moving on to this week and continuing with this whole idea of living the unhurried life, I want to set some scenes from lives that may resemble yours and mine a little bit. Most days she's up bright and early. She's been doing it for years. Every weekend begins the same way. The alarm clock goes off before the sun comes up, and she slowly shifts her legs toward the edge of the bed and hangs them to the floor. One major effort, and she's out of bed. Her first steps take her down the hall and past the bedrooms of each of her children because she's headed for the most important technology in the house. In under a minute of the alarms going off, she is filling the largest cup she owns with her favorite blend of coffee, black straight from the pot that automatically kicked on this morning. And in just over 20 minutes, caffeine will find its way through her circulatory system, preparing her for another fast-paced day as her home begins to throb with activity. In 10 minutes, she wakes the kids, feeds them, makes their lunches, and sends them off running for the bus to head for school. An amazing feat when you consider everything that she got done in just 40 minutes. The rest of her day is one carefully scheduled event after another. After her part-time job from 8.30 until 2, she begins to make her way through the list on her phone. Groceries, a doctor's appointment, a quick trip to the library. Then there's the orthodontist and soccer practice. And that doesn't even take into account getting the van in for repairs, working out of the gym, and parent-teacher interviews. Most days, her life is scheduled from before sunup until after sundown. Dragging herself into bed as early as possible. She knows tomorrow will be more of the same old, same old. And she wonders as she falls asleep if this is the way it's supposed to be. Now move to another scene. It's a different part of town, although his life knows nothing of hers. It's really not all that different. Early mornings, late nights, customers to satisfy, calls to return, things to do, places to go, people to see. His car hits the street the same time every morning, only to crawl back up that street almost 12 hours later. Checking the calendar in his phone one morning, he ponders the meaning of life waiting at one of those roadside espresso drive-thrus. And what strikes him most is the fullness of every day. He quickly counts as he surveys his week and notices that of the 21 time slots he's been given each week, seven days with a morning, an afternoon, and an evening, this week has something scheduled in 18 of those time slots. He sighs and struck with his busyness. He flips to last week and counts again. 17 were filled in last week. The week before it was only 15, but only a month ago, he somehow survived a week with only one free evening to his credit between Sunday and Saturday. Two anonymous lives among thousands in the city. And why is it that we find... the So much in common between the two of them. Scheduled way out of control and in far over our heads in the commitment category. Even in these summer months, there's precious little space between the priorities and the people to whom we have committed ourselves. I don't know how often you talk about this, but I know you've experienced it. Perhaps you can relate to the words of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes who put it this way. God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things, and right now I am so far behind, I will never die. Meyer Friedman calls it hurry sickness. He defines that as the continuing and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more of our events in less and less time. Lewis Grant calls it sunset fatigue. He writes this, When we come home at the end of a day's work, Those who need our love the most, those to whom we are most committed, end up getting the leftovers. Sunset fatigue is when we're just too tired, too drained, or too preoccupied to love the people to whom we have made the deepest promises. Now I think that Richard Swenson put it best in his book when he calls us to create margin in our lives. Great book, you should read it. He likens our lives to the, to a page in a book and he asks what it would be like if a publisher filled a page from top to bottom and one side to the other with absolutely no margins and every blank space was filled up. That's how oft, we often live our lives. For many of us, it's entirely true that we're addicted to action and we thrive on the battlefield of life with all of the decisions, the to-do lists, the accomplishments, responsibilities, and commitments that fill our day. If you participated in worship with us last week, we kicked off a series we call, we're calling Living the Unhurried Life. And in it, we're looking at topics like hurry and worry, margin, Sabbath, rest, decision making, and how to live relationally, countercultural, biblically oriented ways of living as disciples of Jesus. And this week, we're looking at the topic of margin. Because living the unhurried life means learning to reset our margins. So if you have your Bible with you, whether a physical or a digital one, grab it. And I want to invite you to come with me to the opening verses of Mark's Gospel. The New Testament begins with four accounts of Jesus' life. They're called Gospels. They're kind of a cross between a biography and a testimony. They're written by four different men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in preparation for this message, I took some time to survey the life of the one person in the Bible who is identified as our model for how we should live our lives. I took a good long look at the life of Jesus, all the while asking myself, okay, I have this life that I often describe using words like out of breath and frenetic and frantic and rushed and marginless. So if Jesus is my model for how I should live my life, if Jesus is the model for living an unhurried life, what does his life teach me about resetting my margins? And uh, I want you to see what I discovered, because what we see in the life of Christ is really important. So we're just going to take a quick scroll through the first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Okay? So we open up to the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, we begin to read. We find out that Jesus' baptism happens, and then he chooses his first disciples. And then he goes to Capernaum, where he casts out an evil spirit. And then we find later in the chapter that Jesus heals many, and he heals a man with le- with leprosy. Okay, we flip the page to chapter two, and it begins as Jesus heals a paralyzed man, who's brought to Jesus by four of his friends. Then he takes on some of the Jewish religious authorities who take exception with how Jesus is spending his time, and what he's saying about God. Then he calls another disciple named Levi to follow him. He answers some questions about fasting, and he teaches his disciples about the Sabbath day. We flip the page to chapter 3. Diving into Mark 3, we discover that Jesus heals a guy with a hand that's shriveled up. And then a large crowd of people begin to follow him. And then Jesus debates the teachers of the law, the religious authorities he clashed with earlier over a different issue, the issue this time of Satan and his power. The chapter closes as Jesus' mother and his brothers come looking for him. Chapter 4. The chapter begins with Jesus teaching a large crowd by the Sea of Galilee, and he teaches and teaches, and then he takes a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and he encounters a storm which he puts out. We flip to chapter 5. And he heals a demon-possessed man who hangs out in the tomb tombs of uh, of a graveyard. Then he raises a dead girl. Then he heals a sick woman. Now think about the itinerary we just walked through. You cannot help but be struck by the fullness of Jesus' life in just five chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Leadership training, healings, speaking engagements, debates problem-solving, expectations, appearances, surprise responsibilities, and spontaneous crowds that demand his attention. Jesus is living a life that seems to us, even us today, in our fast-paced world, to be more than full. And in the midst of all that Jesus had going on, I want you to notice three specific things that you might have missed due to the speed of my little walkthrough. First, I want you to notice that even for Jesus there was absolutely no end to the needs that he could have been meeting. His growing influence meant growing demands upon his time and energies. And you can see that in all of the gospel accounts. Jesus had more than enough to do, and each day of his earthly life was filled with serving people and meeting needs all around him. So don't lose sight of that. Even for Jesus, there was no end to the needs that he could have been meeting. Two, I want you to notice that Jesus is very intentional about creating margin in his life. He chooses to run at a pace that suits him. If you go back to Mark and you begin in chapter 1, and you read through those chapters again, you will notice something that in moving fast I never mentioned. But you'll notice four specific margin-creating events that he participated in. Mark 1.35 we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus found a place where he could experience solitude. That's margin. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. We read the simple words, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. Jesus got away. He had a place that he liked to get away, and he took his disciples with him. Mark 3, verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So actually, when he crosses the lake a few verses later, he crosses the lake and it doesn't do it. So he goes up onto a mountain and takes his disciples with him so he can get away from the hustle and bustle of life. And then finally, Mark 4, 35, you see punctuated throughout these first five chapters, we read that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And the other side is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's the side away from where he did the vast majority of his ministry stuff. So he's getting away with his disciples. Now, Jesus' life is punctuated with events that reflect his need for and his recognition for of his need for margin in life. He had places in his life he got away to, away from the busyness of life up on a mountain, out in a lake, hidden in a garden. He got away with those who were most close to him, and we call that margin. It's like the space on a page that makes your reading less complicated. <clears throat> margin makes our lives less busy. And then thirdly, I want you to take note of how Jesus described his life when it was almost over and done with. As Jesus neared the end of his life on earth, He described his life in a prayer to his father in John chapter 17. He prays and he says this, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see, Jesus had a clear awareness of why he was on earth, of what his purpose was, of what he was put on earth earth to accomplish. So to summarize, Jesus recognized three things. He recognized something about himself, something about his calling, and something about his need for margin. For himself, he realized that he had a a certain pace that he was capable of living at as a 100% human being. He had a certain personality that God chose to use. He had certain capabilities that could be used in different ways, depending on the how and the where and the when and the who of his life. So he realized that about himself. He also realized something about his calling. He understood that he was called to live life a certain way devoted to certain priorities in his life. And then finally, he recognized his need for margin. Jesus understood that his life could not be a non-stop appointment with action. He needed to adopt space for margin and to live at a pace that he was capable of sustaining, of keeping up over the long haul. Now, Let's pause right now and let's move this survey from Jesus' life to a survey of yours and mine. And only you can do that. Only you can participate in this survey. Whether you're a student, you're employed, you're a homemaker, you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're younger, middle, or older, only you can take a good look inside yourself and survey your life. If it's true that living the unhurried life means resetting our margins only you are capable of doing that so to begin like we see in the life of jesus we need to recognize three things in our lives something about yourself something about your calling and something about your need for margin so just like jesus there are certain things that are true about you and you alone you're capable of a certain pace you have a certain personality that God can use. You have a certain energy level. You have certain capacities and capabilities which God can use in different ways depending upon the who and the what and the where and when of your life. There are certain things that are true of your life physically, emotionally, and relationally right now that you need to understand in order to understand the pace you're capable of and the margins that you need in life. Maybe Paul put it best when he said this in Romans twelve three, For by the grace given me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, I preached in our church on this topic of margin, and every time I have, There's a few cracks from our staff about the hypocrisy of me preaching this particular message about pace and margin in particular. But I want you to know that along with you, I'm really grappling with this stuff in my life. This season of COVID has been an important time of thinking about my need for margin in my life, for my need to live at a pace that is sustainable for the years ahead. And as I look forward to life this fall, I think about a life in which I'm married to someone who's very special to me. And I have these five daughters I talked about last week and these four son-in-laws and these four grandsons and these four granddaughters. And we just found out that another grandkid is on the way come January. There are things about myself and my season of life, my personality, my temperament, my pace, my abilities that I need to recognize in order to be used by God. And then there's something about our calling that we need to recognize. We need to recognize that God calls us to live in a certain way and to give ourselves to certain priorities in following and belonging to him. Paul weighed in on this in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, when he said, Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You need... To recognize that God calls you to living a life that runs beyond the choices you would make in and of yourself as to how you would live your life. You're a called person, and the one who calls you is the one who calls the shots. And then finally, you need to recognize something about your need for margin, and you need to recognize. That you, like all of us, have this deep need inside to have places of margin, times of margin, space for margin in our life. Life is not intended to be a non-stop appointment with action. And as we said last week, there's more to life than increasing its speed. Margin is a gift from God a gift to keep us on track and we need to adopt margin and live at a pace that is sustainable for us over the long haul. You read scripture and you can hear God through his people, through his prophets, through his writers saying to us things that remind us of this need for margin and space in our lives. Psalm forty-six, ten: be still and know that I am God. Psalm 95 6 through 8, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You can hear it. Slow down be with me. Be still before me. Listen for my voice. Recognize that he is our maker. Bow and kneel before him. You can have space in your life and fill it with the worship of God. Now, let's close out this message by taking a hands-on practical look at how we can Open up space in our lives for margin. We can reset our lives. Hit the reset button on margin in our lives. This is how we can live the unhurried life. And I want to suggest five specific practices to you. Number one, take a long, hard look at what is important in life. I am absolutely convinced that this is the genius to Jesus' relationship to margin. He understood what was really important in life? You know, life is absolutely filled with choices. I read one day that in 1978 there were 11,767 items in the average supermarket, and today that number is 24,531, including 186 different choices when it comes to breakfast cereal. We just we live in a world that is quickly moving toward over choice, busyness, and more is not God's goal for us, Christ-likeness is, living in the way of Jesus is. And if that's true, what does God want you to value in life? Write it down. Take specific time this week to think about the greatest values you hold to and sift it through the filter of what do I believe that God has called me to incorporate into my life and to live by. Okay, so take a long, hard look at what's important. Number two, beware the power of outside influence. So Richard Swenson, in his book, Margins, he writes this. This is is fantastic. Margin was an unrecognized possession of the peoples of the past. Throughout most of the history of the world, margin existed in the lives of individuals as well as societies. There were no televisions to watch or phones to answer. There were no cars, and travel was seldom undertaken. Daily newspapers were unknown. The media could not broadcast the cluster of events taking place in town. Churches and communities did not offer 20 simultaneous programs. With no electricity to extend daylight, few people suffered sleep deprivation. Time urgency, daily planners, to-do lists had not yet been adopted by the masses. Instead, by default rather than by choice, people lived slower, more deliberate lives. They had time to help a neighbor. Their church and social activities more often drew them together than pulled them apart. He closes with this sentence. This is fantastic. The past may have been poor and deprived in many respects, but its people had margin. Folks, your life is one big encounter after another with outside influences which affect your life from the moment you get up your phone and every other screen in your life the sights and sounds of all things internet in our world email and voicemail and text mails those things will control and drive our lives until we choose to create margin to minimize the effects of those outside influences you have to put them in their place So where does your phone go at night? Does it need to go in its place so that it's not with you as you go to bed to drive you crazy all evening and when you get up in the morning? Number three, specifically build quiet into each day. 50% of our population is exposed every day to noise that interferes with either speech or sleep. There are things that God does in the heart of his people that can only be done in quiet. They're not done in noisy places. The absence of quiet in our life slowly leads to a state of soul insanity. So as you think about resetting your margins, when you think about building margin into your life, don't forget about God. There are no great works done for God. There is no intimate relationship with Him with without moments of quiet to encounter Him. Remember, That the chief purpose of quiet is to connect with God in a way that affects the way we live our lives. That affects the way we relate to him. Blaise Pascal said, most of our problems come from our inability to sit still. I think this is one of them. Our inability to sit still means that we will not sit and spend time alone with God. So build quiet into each day by engaging with scripture. I had a conversation with somebody today who's trying to read through the Bible between July 1st and the end of August this summer. Just as I have a lot of time because of COVID. So that particular day, today as I talked to him about it, he actually read through like 25 chapters of the book of Jeremiah. Now that may not be the way you go about it, but he is building scripture into his life as a way to build quiet into his life, to be with God and hear his voice. And then build quiet into each day by engaging in prayer. Make conversational prayer a way of living life with God. Last week when I talked with you about when you get in a stressful place to seek God, to give you his rest. Create moments of quiet throughout your day when you just sit and you talk to God. Number four, learn to say both yes and no. Most of us don't have any trouble saying yes to opportunities. People ask, we say yes. They ask again, we say yes. But we're going to come back to this in a future sermon, but many of us need to learn how to say no to opportunities that come our way. Opportunities that don't fit the pace that is needed in your life right now. Opportunities that don't fit your personality or your spiritual giftedness. Opportunities that you don't have the energy or the capacity for or the giftedness for. Learn to say no. How many of you right now are sitting next to somebody at home as you watch this uh, service And it's a friend or it's a family member who has trouble with this one. They say yes to everything. Right now is the time to nudge them. Wink, punch them in the shoulder, remind them to listen on this one. Learn to say both yes and no. And then finally, number five, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. How many of us are willing to admit that waiting totally bugs us? At stoplights, if there's two lanes and each one contains a car... How many of us find ourselves guessing, based on the year, the make, the model, perhaps even the color of the car, as well as the driver, which one will pull away the fastest? Which one do we want to follow? How many of us find ourselves nodding faster to try to encourage the person we're talking with to accelerate the conversation, helping them? How many of us have ever been at a grocery store, and if we have a choice between two checkout lines, how many of us find ourselves counting how many people are in each line and multiplying that number by the number of average items in a cart. And then finally, how many of us will go to pay for parking at, say, the airport? And we keep track of the person who ha- who would have been us had we chose the other line. And if we get out of there before they do, we consider it to be a great victory. And if they get out of there before us, we consider it to be a great loss. Well, how about trying this sometime? Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Think about choosing the longer line at a grocery store. Think about choosing the longer line in the parkade. Practice delayed gratification. Drive slower. Read slower. Talk slower. Move slower. Now I want to ask you four very specific questions as we bring our time to a close. Number one, when's the last time that you had this sense that you were in over your head, that you had taken on too much? Because the answer to that will tell you something about the need for margin in your life. Number two, when was the last time you had a fresh encounter with God? When you had time... Or you took time to quietly, slowly pursue God alone. When you sat and read his word in his presence and you talked to him about your life. Number three, what most prevents you from the experience of experiencing margin in life? What's keeping you back? What are the things that you need to do to take out of the way so you can create margin in your life? What hard decisions do you need to make? And then finally, what one thing do you need to do to begin resetting your margins today? Right now, what one thing do you need to do? Go and do it. Now, I'm going to give you a one-minute gift right now. For a minute, I want you to think through that list of questions and choose whichever one struck you most deeply. And then before God, would you take the next step of talking to God about it? I'm going to give you Years ago, I read a short story in a little book called Springs in the Valley by Letty Coleman. I want to close with it. Letty Kalman shares an interesting tale from African colonial history. In the deep jungles of Africa, a traveler was making a long, long trek, and baggage carriers had been hired from a tribe to carry the traveler's load. The first day they marched rapidly and they went very far and the traveler had high hopes of a speedy journey. But the second morning, these jungle tribesmen refused to move. For some strange reason, they just sat and rested. Upon inquiring as to the reason for this strange behavior, the traveler was told that they had gone too far the first day and that they were waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. What a description of our busy, marginless 21st century lives. May God grant us the grace to honestly see our need for margin. We need his wisdom to know what needs to change and the courage and discipline to take that next step this week. May God grant you his grace to be able to do that.